0: Hey guys, Rachel here. So, today we are actually going to take a break from the top 10 of 2023. um, And we're actually going to have a new guest episode. Uh, The only reason why is because this guest and I have had to reschedule with each other so many times. um, So, I had to actually interview her. Um, That would have been about... A week or two ago I don't even remember guys it, it like dates just kind of come and go right now in my head but yeah it would have been probably about a week ago um and so even though I have the boundary that I wasn't doing any interviews this month or or last month I had to do that because we had rescheduled on each other so many times so I wanted to make sure that we got it done so yeah, so I'm putting out that episode today. Um, so yeah, guys, without further ado, let's get into it. So guys, if you're anything like me, you know, it is January. It is you know New Year new me stuff, right? So we're we're getting rid of stuff that no longer serves us. That includes purging our homes, right? And that is what I have been doing. Like, I have been making an effort to not be a minimalist, but kind of have that balance between maximalism and minimalism, right? So, trying to find that fine line in between there, which means getting rid of so much stuff. Now, you can get rid of things on like Facebook Marketplace or go donate things or whatever, but. What about race car related stuff? What do you do, right? Yeah, you can try and sell this stuff on Facebook, but, you know, eh, you might not always get the traction you want. So what's another place that you can go to? That's racingjunk.com, okay? racingjunk.com. You can sign up for a free account today. Um, They do have paid tiers too, you know, if you're into that. But you can sign up for a free account and you can look for stuff. You can, you know, buy stuff, sell stuff, whatever. Um, there's thousands and thousands of classifieds on there for you to go through. You know, whether it's buying a race car or buying parts for that race car or selling a race car. Or, you know, maybe you're expanding and you want to get a hauler this year. You know, whatever that case may be. So make sure you check out racingjunk.com. And they are the official classified for Race Wife Unfiltered. Welcome to Race Wife Unfiltered, hosted by your favorite bougie race wife, Rachel Thornhill. Every week, she shares stories of her life as a race wife and other women in motorsports, giving them a platform so their voices can be heard. Hey guys welcome back to racewife unfiltered i am your host rachel thornhill and today we have a special guest with us Uh, she is the senior writer for dirt empire magazine Uh, she's also a photographer and um definitely and also she's into barrel racing which is a whole nother thing which we will get into in a minute so uh welcome ashley zimmerman hi ashley hi thank you for having me yeah, no, not a problem. I'm glad that, um, we finally get to talk, you know, I mean, everybody's schedules have been kind of crazy, especially getting close to the holidays. So, um, so I'm glad that we were able to actually finally connect and, uh, and do this. So, but, um, so you have a very unique background, um, you know, between with horses and also racing. So, how did you get into racing in the first place? Was it like something that your family was a part of and, and then, or you just got into it just randomly?
1: So, um, my dad was working at Farmall when he became friends with a man named Bob McNabb and Bob was going to the races out at Knoxville. And so we live about two and a half hours from Knoxville. And so my dad started going and kind of got the itch, got addicted, and became a race fan. That was in the late 70s. Um, And so my mom and dad would, my dad worked third shift at Farmall as a welder, and they would leave on Saturday to go to the races. And then Saturday night, my mom would drive home while my dad slept so that he could work the next night at Farmall. Uh, And they did that for years before they got a camper. And then obviously I came along um, in 1986 to date myself and they started taking me to the races when I was two weeks old. Uh, So I've grown up around Knoxville, Um, kind of a perk to the whole situation is that I grew up around the sprint car racing capital. Uh, My dad had the gift of gab and wherever he went, he became friends with everybody. Uh, So I grew up camping next to Doug Clark, the flagman. I um, was the flower girl in Jeff Woodruff's wedding, who is the son of Kenny Woodruff. Um, I have my, you know, he was friends with the race director of the World of Outlaws, Bobby Jackson, for many years before Bobby passed away. He was friends with drivers, um, crew guys. We camped next door for the longest time next to a push truck driver. So I kind of got to see Knoxville from all angles really as a fan. Really, honestly, I never realized until later on in my life that the aspect that I saw as a fan wasn't really, quote unquote, normal as a fan. Mm -hmm. Um, So I kind of just, I was a daddy's girl. I followed my dad everywhere. And that's how I got interested in racing was because I could relate to him and have conversation with him by paying attention to the races. And that's why I fell in love with it. Um, when I was 17, my dad passed away from a heart attack. But the month exactly prior to that, we lost Keith Hutton in a sprint car accident in Oskaloosa. And my dad and him were very, very close, very good friends. We ate breakfast with them every Sunday before we left to go home. And so that kind of hit hard with my dad. And um, that whole month between my dad's passing and Keith's passing, he kind of told me like, oh, you know, if something happened to me, like all of the things that he would want to be done. And, um, you know, I'd always kind of grown up reading the Knoxville Nationals program and kind of always dreamt about being able to have some sort of affiliation with racing outside of, I was never gonna race a sprint car. So when my dad passed away, I actually wrote his eulogy, and that kind of sparked me to consider, you know, just how much I enjoyed writing and how much I wanted to be involved in that aspect of racing. I had by just happenstance gotten published when I was like 17 in a Midwest, like Northeastern PA newspaper, uh, just by posting on Hose Heads on their website forum. And so that kind of also kind of motivated me to want To keep pursuing it more um ironically though life has its way of like throwing wrenches into everything especially when you're 17 and you lose a parent um so i went to school for about a year towards my english degree and that was when i decided that i just wasn't quite happy in the situation that i was in and i wanted to pursue um being involved with horses and more on the equine side of things and the ag side of things i had not grown up around horses but when i was in high school worked for a lady who had horses and took lessons and kind of always dreamt of like can i have my own horse kind of thing and after my dad passed away did get my own horse but that was when i decided i was going to completely switch gears and go to school for equine science and i actually showed intercollegiate horse show team while i was in college and was eighth in the nation for western horsemanship when i graduated went on to work for some cutting horse trainers and obviously I ride barrel horses and compete with barrel horses and train my own barrel horses and give lessons. So probably, you know, give it 15 years. And back in 2019, I had a friend, my best friend, Billy Brickley, who constantly was like urging me to try to write and try to get involved in racing. I do his sponsorship deck every year. And so he was like, you should be doing something. You should be writing something. Um, so I went back to Trusty hoseheads Heads and I made a post on the forum just asking for advice on where to go or where to start. Figured this was my last ditch opportunity to no longer wonder what if. Um, mm-hmm. so I made a post and Justin Zock actually reached out to me and said, "Hey, send me some ideas. I would love to see if we could do something." And um Ironically, Justin Zock was the announcer at Knoxville when I was growing up with Tony Bachoven, and I had grown up reading his stuff in the, in the program and in the newspaper at Knoxville. So it kind of was like a full circuit, circle moment for me. So I reached out to Justin, and I went into the situation thinking, this is probably a one-off thing, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. I'm at least going to get another opportunity. So I pitched him an idea about um, how much rainouts throughout the season affect uh promoters and racetracks especially racetracks not backed by a fair board and that year we'd had like 12 rainouts here in the midwest and so i went to the promoters of 34 raceway who also own it jesse and brad and interviewed them and wrote an article showcasing the things behind the scenes that race fans don't necessarily always consider mm-hmm. and um i sent that to justin and i got another email back and he was like hey what other ideas do you have um would you have one that we could write on a crew guy. We always feature a crew guy in Dirt Monthly. And I said, how about Kenny, how about Jeff Woodruff? I have an easy access to that one. Uh, How about Jeff Woodruff? So I wrote about Woody and both of those articles were published in the PRI issue 2019 for Dirt Monthly. Um, And I just, again, was like, cool, you know, like I did it. Mm -hmm. Didn't really think much past like anything reoccurring. And I got another email from Justin and he was like, so what other ideas do you have? And I was like, oh, wait, we're, we're going to keep doing this. And he's <laughs> like, yeah, we're going to keep doing this. Um, so I wrote consistently for Dirt Monthly through the first part of the pandemic in 2020 with several articles a month um, showcasing local drivers. And um, one of my biggest ones was with Flea in June of 2020. And um, we actually talked about Keith Hutton and he was friends with Keith and in that article it got sent to Jenny Hutton his wife who I hadn't seen since Keith had passed away and my dad had passed away and she actually reached out to me she was getting ready to go back to Australia permanently and asked me to come write her story because she had developed the first Nomex sports bra in racing and went on to work safety for IndyCar and do a lot of PRI presentations on safety as a result of what happened to Keith Mm, so with the pandemic um Dirt monthly wasn't doing as well because they had went all digitally Mm -hmm. so that article actually ended up getting published with outside groove and i had wrote another article for them as well about women in racing that was actually one of their top 10 most viewed in november of 2020 on their website and um you know justin had continued to encourage me writing for other people as we kind of saw the doors closing on dirt monthly Mm -hmm. And so that's when I went to JA Ackley and Outside Groove. And then in December of 2020, Adam Cornell, who was doing the layout and graphic design for Dirt Monthly, uh, who has several books published and is no stranger to publishing things, um, he actually reached out to me and said, Justin and I are going to create a new magazine called Dirt Empire with um, Dirt Monthly leaving that leaves a big gap in publishing and writing for racing. And he's like, we want you to come, we want you to come with us. Like, we can't do this without you. So that's how I became the senior writer for Dirt Monthly, or Dirt Empire, sorry. So we published our first digital issue in January of 2021. And our first print issue went to print in March of 2021. That was actually my first cover and my first time ever writing about vendor vendor racing at all mm-hmm. uh actually interviewed kevin rumley so kind of you know swing for the fences had no idea i grew up a sprint car person i'm still a sprint car person at heart but we had a gap we needed somebody to write something late model and i just figured i'd fill in the gap because at this point I'm trying to pay pay bills and if there's a gap then there's money to be made right um actually stuck with the late model stuff uh it's a gap that i ended up filling pretty regularly so since 2021 i've solely written for Dirt Empire, and produce probably about a third of the written content, and um, last year in 2023 I had all of the cover stories for the magazine. I do sell some advertising, but my primary primary focus is writing. I write everything from uh, grassroots stuff to you know, national headlines and national touring series from cover stories to grassroots, you know, drivers that are up and coming. And then this year we also debuted my column that follows the publisher and editor column in the magazine, which is just my life in racing and how I got here and how I'm still here. Um, I did do some writing and I do still do As Melinda Needs It for the Women in Motorsports Association, um, for their magazine. Uh, it's kind of, fun for me to be able to give back and contribute to women in racing and kind of offer that back to people and um but aside from that in 2023 i did pick up a camera i'd always done like some pit shots and obviously selling horses you learn to take really good confirmation shots so i knew a little bit (laughs) about it um and with the help of dave campbell and nicole signer two of our photographers at dirt empire i've kind of gotten some assistance there and tips and help. Um, so I've been doing pho- photography, actually had some of my photos published with my Parker Price Miller piece in Dirt Empire in the fall. So I kind of gotten to do everything. Um, just try my hand at anything that really you know sounds good or fun. Figured since I was at the racetrack as a writer, I might as well be doing something while I'm at the racetrack uh, in the off season. I do sponsorship decks for teams, so it just kind of all blends together. Um, But I started out as a race fan. I'm still a race fan at heart, but um, I started out as a sprint car person. And now a lot of my content mostly focuses on late models and modifieds. It's just kind of how it leaned that way. Um, All of my friends give me a lot of crap about it, but (laughs) how things ended up. So I'm solely focused on Dirt Empire. That's my primary goal is to create content for them. I do have a day job, obviously, but other than that, uh, it's dirt empire since 2021. So,
0: yeah. And I, I kind of understand what you mean about being a sprint car person. Cause that's where my husband and I came from too. So my husband raced, um, sprint car, a sprint car before he ended up in the late model. He's been on the late model for three years now. Um, and so I totally get it. It's like a whole, it's just like, for some I mean, reason it's, with sp- sprint cars, it's almost like, it's almost like separated. Like, yeah, sprint cars before their own people.
1: <laughs> it's a big gap, but mm-hmm. it is, I mean, like my best friends race sprint cars. Um, you know, Woody and Christy uh, Woodruff, they're like family for me. And they, you know, Woody's a crew chief. And, um, you know, I was, I've been in the Queens contest at Oxville Raceway. I've been a judge for the Queens contest. And I've actually gotten to write for the program for the last three years. Uh, which was totally full circle and kind of like my biggest goal. So, I mean, I'm a sprint car person at heart. And yeah. if I have the option, go to a sprint car race or go to a late model race, I'm going to go to a sprint car race. <laughs> um, that's, that's where my heart is. Right. But I mean, good racing is good racing. But mm-hmm. my friends all love to throw me some crap every once in a while just because they are all sprint car people. They're all involved in the sprint car side of things. Right. Um, so it is kind of funny um and i've had a couple of drivers that think it's funny too like Devin moran thinks it's hilarious that the late models have stolen me from the sprint cars and (laughs) i know there's a big diversity between it but to be honest like it's all exciting you just have to figure out what part of it is exciting i you know i used to get up and go to the beer tent when it was late models but obviously that's changed now because i'm more invested in it because i know the storylines and but there is a huge gap like people think you have to be one or the other Mm -hmm. um well i like to run through that gap and go back and forth
0: (laughs) yeah yeah um that's kind of how it was with us it's like but my husband he gave up sprint cars because here in louisiana like you just don't really run them anymore and so it was like either we're gonna have to constantly travel all the time um or he had to go to a late model if he wanted to be able to race consistently here. And so yeah. that's why he switched to late model. Um, which, I mean, now, like, I, re- I love the late model. Like, I mean, t- and he does too, but yeah, we are still sprint car
1: people at yeah. heart. Like- I, I was blessed growing up in sprint car territory, like Iowa, Illinois, I'm right on the Illinois-Iowa border on the Mississippi. So- oh, okay. Knoxville is two and a half hours from us. Jacksonville is yeah. two and a half hours from us beaver dams three, like I kind of got spoiled. And and that's the biggest thing was, you know, why would you ever pay attention to any other form of racing when you grew up at Knoxville Raceway? Like, why would I want to pay attention to late models when that's mm-hmm. what I know? in sprint car racing? And that's kind of how I grew up. You know, my dad, he didn't have eyes for anything other than sprint cars. So, right. you know, that was blasphemy in my household if you were going to go <laughs> to a late model race. So that's mm-hmm. kind of why I grew up you know, solely only looking at sprint car racing.
0: Yeah. And so my husband was the same way. His dad raced um with uh Sammy Swindell was his teammate for Mr. Nance. My husband's dad raced for him. Um, And so my husband grew up around sprint cars his whole life. Yeah. And so, yeah, so it was the same thing. It's like, you know, his dad could yeah, not when believe. When your comparison that- is
1: Sammy Swindell, like, why would you, Why would you want to pay attention to anything else, you know?
0: Right. Well, and also it was like, his dad did not understand why he wanted to go to a late model. (laughs) Like, why are you wanting to go into a late model? Like, you know, because sprint car people, right? But he's like, it's either that or like my sprint car would sit there. Like, he would be lucky if they would run once a month, you know? And he's like, I don't want it being a lawn ornament like i want it i want to be able to race consistently so that's why it's so
1: expensive now to Mm -hmm. to race period if you're not able to race frequently it's not cost effective anymore and Mm -mm. unfortunately the late models have money figured out as far as payback through the field so i mean if you had to choose i i see why people choose late models
0: yeah yeah um i mean both of them are expensive no matter what i mean but like we like he runs um you know a crate late model um, which is a little bit better cost wise I mean you know better than the super lates at least but even so I mean no matter what they're still expensive I mean you can yeah. even pay for a street stock and spend the same amount of money as you spend on a late model now like it's just yeah. it's insane it really shouldn't be that much but you know that's just how it
1: is now so inflation is everywhere you know i grew up around horses and in the side of the industry where i am with barrel horses you know you're to be able to be competitive now you're gonna spend 25 to thirty thousand dollars on oh, wow. a barrel horse to be able to go to a barrel race and win really good money um so inflation has really hit our market too a good rodeo horse to be able to compete on the top level is getting close to six figures uh eight oh, wow. years ago, it wasn't that much. And that's the thing that I think shocks people the most is people outside of the horse industry. You know, you think of like, oh, I can buy a horse for like 500 bucks. And mm-hmm. you could back when I got into horses, um, but it's just not that way now. We've gotten so niche in how we breed things and breeding them okay. for a specific purpose that it's it's the same way. The translation for inflation and how, thing, how much it costs to be competitive is so much the same and so relatable for me when i hear drivers talk about it because i feel the same thing if i want to replace a horse that's competitive as a barrel horse in the 1d i'm looking at thirty thousand dollars. if my horse gets hurt somebody it's the equivalent of somebody wrecking you on the racetrack you know i get it when the drivers talk about it because Mm -hmm. it is expensive to be competitive in anything oh yeah yeah. But
0: I didn't realize that horses were that expensive. Like I, I knew, I knew it, I knew it was kind of expensive because like, um, uh, in high school, there was quite a few people that I knew that barrel raced. Um, and I knew that they spent money. Like I knew yeah. it was, I knew it was expensive, but I did not realize it was that much. Like, yeah, you're it, getting- can
1: get, it can get, real. like, you know, if you obviously just want to go like to your local, like horse show that's just down the road or like Mm -hmm. in your town or a couple towns over and compete for a couple of dollars and get a ribbon, you know, you can buy a horse for a couple thousand dollars. Uh, but if you want to go to jackpots and barrel races where they pay back money, um, and it can pay, you know, you pay a large entry fee, several hundred dollars for the weekend, and it can pay back several times that if you were to win or place, you know, you're looking at And bare minimum $15,000 to be able to go and do that. If you can't create, you know, if you can't make one yourself or train one yourself, Mm -hmm. um, if you want to buy a two year old and train it yourself, then yeah, you can, you know, spend $5,000 and then spend a couple of years investing in their training and riding them every day and investing an hour a day. But even that, you know, if you have to send it off to a trainer, you're looking at $1,200 a month for at least a year to get a finished barrel horse. So it all, at the end of the day it equivalates. you have to value your time if you're going to be the one riding them if you have those those skills and abilities and those things cost money too to to be able to do it so it's uh i remember i was told one time like having horses used to be a rich man sport like you had horses because you came from money and i think that changed for a while um but now it is i hear it all the time that it's going back to be that same thing that it's mm-hmm. if you want to have competitive horses it's for anything cutting roping anything you you really do either have to have the ability to make one or the ability to buy one mm-hmm. if you want to just go trail ride you know you can do that for a couple of thousand dollars but i think i'm too competitive to trail ride and be at peace so <laughs> it's barrel racing but to be honest even i focus so much time now between my day job and the magazine whether it's writing interviews sponsorship decks advertising photos, editing. I get to wave at my horses and I get to ride them occasionally, but competing has definitely been put to the side for me for quite a while. But that was something that I chose to do when I started riding and the doors kept opening and opportunities kept happening of, well, do you want to do this? Or can you do this? Or, you know, those kind of things. I said, if I'm going to make this happen and I'm going to do this to the ability that I've always dreamt of, I'm not gonna say no to things. And to do that, I had to say no to other things that took a lot of my time and a lot of my attention. So my horses do a lot of standing around, getting fat, eating, and getting a lot of pets and treats, but they don't go compete anymore. And that was kind of hard in the beginning to be like, wow, I have all this money invested in these animals standing here, but at the same time, you know, I'll get back there eventually, I'll have time eventually, things will balance out and then I'll have nice safe horses to get back to. But this was something that I wanted to be able to say if it was ever done and over with and I didn't get to write anymore, that I fulfilled every opportunity that I had and I can't look back and be like, oh, I wish I would have done this or I wish I would have done that. So that was something that I always took into consideration because I already had that regret going in that I didn't continue doing this 15 years earlier. Uh, so, I realized that I had to sacrifice things. I, I mean, I sacrificed a lot of stuff, my horses, times with friends, like that all becomes less of a priority. And luckily I have a good circle around me that understands that you just don't see me until it's cold outside and there's snow on the ground. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I understand that. Um, And, you know, when you become passionate about something, um, yeah, you have to like, you have to figure out that balance. Like what am I possibly going to have to give up to be able to do this? And, and, you know, and I totally relate to that because like, that's what I had to do with the podcast. It's like, do I want to do this, you know, soon on a full-time basis. So I have to figure that out. Like what am I willing to sacrifice to be able to, you know, put more time and effort to this? Um, and yeah, and that's why I had to like start making sacrifices. It's like, okay, you know, after work, I'm working directly on the podcast. Yeah. I'm not just, you know, doing random things, not watching yeah. just Netflix or something like that. During, you
1: know, during the summer, I, so I work, uh, from home for customer service, mm-hmm. um, for a company. So from seven to three I'm in front of a computer. Uh, And then usually at 3.30, I run outside, feed the horses, clean stalls, do whatever I have to do and come back inside and sit down in front of a different computer Mm -hmm. uh, and then work until, you know, nine o'clock or until my eyes are burning and I can't stare in front of a computer any longer, whether that's editing videos or finishing articles or writing interview questions. But I realized a long time ago, and I'm sure you can relate to this, that Mm -hmm. the industry that we're in as far as motorsports goes, being on the media side, or even as much as working in the industry. And even as a driver, really opportunities don't come back. If somebody knocks on your door and says, Hey, I have an opportunity for you. Would you like to be a part of X, Y, Z? If you say, Oh, not right now, I don't have time. Can we do this again in a couple of months? Can we try this again later? Or come back around circle back to me it's not going to happen yeah. and if you want to keep growing and you want to do more and you want to build a reputation and have more opportunities you have to say yes to the opportunities as they come so that more opportunities will provide themselves if you just say no to stuff yeah, it, it's not going to come back whether that's a ride or an interview or an opportunity to go to a race it's just not going to come back mm-hmm. and that was the thing that i You know, I knew going in because I'd grown up so closely to the industry and being around people who were in the industry that I knew if I wanted, if I was going to do this correctly, I had to say yes to everything. So if somebody said, do you want to write an article, do you want to do an interview? Does this sound like a good idea? You know, like with the late model stuff, my editor said, we have a gap. Um, Mm -hmm. Could you fill this? I knew nothing about late models. I couldn't tell you the difference at that time between a crate and a super Mm -hmm. Um, and I said, yes and i figured it out on the fly um because it wasn't going to come back if i said no no
0: they would have found somebody else
1: so so i've just kind of embraced that with this industry and i mean horses are kind of the same way like somebody says do you want to enter this race or do you want to ride my horse or you know those things can all bloom into other things too and i mean that was how i got into horsemanship and showing on the college level was my teacher said hey you would be really good for show team And I said, I'm a barrel racer, I've never done that stuff. And she said, no, but you'd be really good, you should try it. And so I said, okay, well, I'm here. It's a great opportunity. A lot of horse trainers will hire you solely based upon that performance because they know then that you can ride a horse uh, because basically all you do is go to different schools and jump ride a horse that you get like three sentences about and you pull their name out of a hat and then you walk over and you get on that horse and they give you a pattern and you go out and you ride that pattern for a judge and the judge judges you based on your ability to make that horse perform to its best ability. So a lot of people will hire you based off of that. And I do that, you know, same way. Sometimes you just have to go, okay, if I don't say yes to this, it's not coming back. And if I say yes to it, is there a lot of great things that can come from it? And that's kind of how I looked at being a part of racing was if I wanted to be a part of motorsports past being a race fan, I had to say yes to things that sounded absolutely terrifying. Mm -hmm. Last year I was on the Heels on Wheels Motorsports uh, radio show on the Performance Motorsports Network a couple of times. um, And I really enjoyed it. Uh, One time we talked about obviously my career in racing, but the next time we talked about just like the adversities of things that women experience Mm -hmm. and just kind of some of the not so fun stuff that's a reality um and i kind of joked with my fiance after i got the phone i was like really love to be a co-host like a, a host on the show like that'd be cool I don't know anything about it but that'd be cool and later on that last year towards the end of the year they had a co-host that was not going to have time to be on the show as often mm-hmm. and they actually called me and said hey would you like to be on the on the show you were really great the two times that you were on there we think you'd be a great addition by nature i wanted to say no uh mm-hmm. i'm not who really enjoys being in the spotlight right. um, and I don't always enjoy talking about hot button topics mm-hmm. because some people don't appreciate the fact that you have a differing opinion. right? Uh, and to be honest, I really didn't have a whole lot of time to mm-hmm. be able to be like, yeah, let's add another thing to my plate. Yeah. Um, but I said yes, because I knew it was a great opportunity and I knew that it would help my reputation in motorsports more than it would hinder it. And I knew if I said no, Probably wasn't going to come back again. Right. So I said, yes. So we record every Wednesday and I've been on the show since then. But that's the biggest, you know, I would have normally said no if I wouldn't have just went into this. And I was like, I'm going to say yes to everything, regardless of how terrifying or how I don't think I can do it. I'll I'll figure it out on the way. So,
0: yeah. um, And and I love what you said, because it's like. We tend to automatically want to say no due to fear. Right. Because, I mean, it's putting us out of our comfort zone. And so, but everything that we truly want is outside of our comfort zones. And so not saying no is like you literally shift your timeline and you literally put yourself in a situation where other doors can open that would have never opened if you would have said no.
1: Yeah. I've always been told that um, if you want to be successful, you have to put yourself outside of the box and outside of the box is being uncomfortable and eventually that becomes comfortable so then you do other things and that's how you grow right. and how you do more i mean i hate asking for help uh right. that's one of the things i hate the most but mm-hmm. yet you know I, that's what i had to do this year i was like hey i got this camera i want to know how to do more with it i want to go take pictures of race cars right. uh, it's really uncomfortable and some people i don't i got the feeling didn't really appreciate that i was doing that just because i already write so much in the magazine. I think there was some insecurities by some photographers mm-hmm. out there. But, you know, it was something that I wanted to pursue and something I wanted to learn and and learn a new skill. So sometimes you do have to just put yourself out there for yeah. all of the things, people who support you and people who don't support you. Mm-hmm. And you, that's the other part is you never find out who supports you until you do something that's putting yourself out there and uncomfortable. Uh, a lot of times when I interview like grassroots guys, they always tell me, oh, my story is really not that important. Like nobody wants to hear me tell how I got here. And I kind of have to laugh because I said the same thing to my editor several times on the phone. Justin was like, you have a unique voice. You should, say, you should share your story more. I'm like, nobody wants to hear about my story. I'm a race fan. And the truth is like, I found out by sharing my story that a lot of people wanted to hear my story. And it goes the same for drivers. How do you know that people don't want to hear your story because you haven't told your story to anybody and Mm -hmm. as far as grassroots guys go like your story is the best part about you if you're not somebody who wins a ton your story is the most marketable thing about you exactly you know hundreds of people can read your story and relate to it and live vicariously through you or see that their dream is accomplishable and that they can pursue it and that's the best marketing thing you have but i hear the same thing all the time and you just have to put yourself out there so that people can actually say like I'm a fan of yours or i support you or like oh wow i wanted to hear about that but i didn't know how to ask or right. anything like that
0: yeah and also um and i with grassroots people period thing is most of the time there would have been no other way for their story to be known you know mm-hmm. so it's like why not take that opportunity to share it because you know especially if you might be looking for sponsorship or whatever people yeah. don't know who you are so Put yourself out there because, you know, obviously you don't have that media backing that like somebody that's in a larger racing organization would have where they have that opportunity to be in front of media and be able to share their stories and have big followings for people to know who they are.
1: People don't know that they want to support you and become a follower or even sponsor you Mm -hmm. if they don't know. What you're about or how you got there what your work ethic is like Mm -hmm. it's not one thing i really enjoy about racing now that we i think we've really grown from as a result of social media Mm -hmm. and of print magazines and just storytelling in general is that It's no longer about just your win column. You don't have to be the guy who's in victory lane every Saturday night for people to know who you are or to care about what you're doing or want to invest in your future. Mm -hmm. They want to invest in your story and your relatability and how they can work with you and build a relationship. Uh, You know, I feel like back then when it was all about your win column, it was all about your car being a billboard and it's completely shifted now. Uh, It's about building relationship and your car's it's not just about being a billboard. So sharing your story, that's one of the things I love about Dirt Empire is that every issue we focus on some some form of grassroots racing, some driver of grassroots racing that if you ripped away all the headlines might actually have a headline if people weren't focused on what Kyle Larson did or what Jonathan Davenport did. Right. So it makes right. it more exciting to open our magazine because you can be like, oh my God, I do the same thing this guy does. And potentially one day I could be in a magazine And that one 800 word piece could change their entire next season because they took the opportunity to say okay i'll share my story
0: yeah um yeah i agree and it's like because you don't know who's going to see it you know Mm -hmm. it could be like you said it could be your next sponsor it could be somebody that wants to do some type of collaboration with you or it could be somebody that wants to put you in another car, you know, mm-hmm. like you might be able to move up from where you are. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like it's, you just never know who's watching you. That so, is one
1: thing that like this industry has taught me so much just because I live in a small rural town. We don't have a lot of like dirt track racing people. Um, right. and I don't interact a lot with the people in my community just cause I'm always, I'm mostly gone all the time. Right. Um, But, you know, it is weird for me to be out and about and have somebody stop me even locally or at a racetrack and know who I am, because I don't think about it. Living in a rural community where nobody really acknowledges that I write Mm -hmm. for a magazine, I'm not reminded constantly that we're in Barnes and Noble, we're in Books a Million, we're in the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame, we're Mm -hmm. in Bernheizel's and Close Racing, and all of these thousands of people have access to our magazine. Right. So I don't ever think about it until I'm like out of race, especially like it gets me the most when I'm out of racetrack. That's like really grassroots, not one that I go to often. And Mm -hmm. somebody is like, oh, hey, like I read this article or I'll get a DM on on Facebook. And somebody like I read your column or I read this and I thought that was really great. And that's something that like catches me off guard because I Mm -hmm. do the same thing like, oh, nobody wants to hear my story or nobody's reading it because nobody's like in my immediate circle saying anything about it. so it is like so crazy to imagine how many people have access to what we put in the magazine. But that is the truth of it. Like your one 800 page article or 800 words could get in front of so many people that it, it's all about somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. And if your story moves somebody enough, mm-hmm. then you could end up somewhere different, yeah. better. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, And, I I think that's one great thing, too, about social media is that it makes it easier for you to be able to share your story because not everybody, you know, picks up print anymore. Right. And so a lot of times, you know, people will see like articles on a website or whatever, and they can share it, too. And that gives you a lot of exposure as well. Um, And. Sometimes you know you'll just get random DMs from people and stuff like that because they saw something on Facebook or you know X. I keep wanting to say Twitter, but you know
1: <laughs> I it Twitter. It's going to be Twitter for me for <laughs> right?
0: It's like yeah. I don't care if you calling it Twitter. I don't like calling it. Still it still says
1: X. Twitter when you like go into the app agreement and it's still Twitter. it's still Twitter. Yeah, it's still Twitter.
0: Like no. I don't want, I'll, I'll probably never call it eggs <laughs>
1: Like no. I try. It's
0: I try, but I'm like, uh, I can't really get over the whole X thing. Um, Yeah, but that and, you know, Instagram, wherever, you know, you tend to be. um, A lot of people, you know, will look at those and especially on LinkedIn. I noticed like a lot of people will read um, articles a lot more on LinkedIn than really anywhere else. So.
1: I mean, when we first started out, we put the magazine digitally on the website as well. Like our first preview issue was digital, but then um, after we would go to print, several months after we would go to print, we would put that past issue on the website and you can still go to our website and catch, I think it's like the first eight issues and see what the magazine is about. And even if we do have like a good article, um after it goes to print and has been in print for a while we will put it on the on the website to be able to link to it like we have one on there that i wrote with jackie rumley about marketing and sponsorship and decks and we put that on the website because it is so helpful and there are a lot of people that could be affected by it that don't have a subscription or didn't have immediate access to that issue And that has helped to grow the magazine as well, just because people get a taste of what's in there and they see things that are unique or helpful, and then they want to be able to be up on it when it happens again. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: and it, it's kind of like that freebie, right? To kind of Mm -hmm. like funnel, you know, people into buying the magazine, which I mean, that it's all about marketing, you know,
1: like, and people love free stuff. So yeah,
0: absolutely. (laughs) Um, yeah, especially, you know, if it's things that will help them, um, you know, especially right now, marketing, sponsorships, that's a crucial thing with
1: motorsports And I think it's all about thinking outside the box now. Mm-hmm. Like you can offer so much to a sponsor that isn't traditional, right. that might make them have more interest in dipping their toe into sponsoring motorsports or into dirt track racing, especially mm-hmm. dirt track side of stuff is it's so niche that I think mm-hmm. when you offer something unique that isn't as huge of an investment. Um, it can build something for you in the long run. I think that's the biggest thing that gets discouraging for grassroots guys is you hear no a lot. But if you just take the time to like cultivate a, that relationship, but they say no, not right now, or you just take, if they just give you a little bit in the beginning and you continue to grow that, that support, it can be something bigger in the long run. And that's, I think, how you almost have to go about it in grassroots now, because there's just, just the way the economy is and the way sponsorship is designed and the fact that, you know, asphalt racing gets so much more attention than dirt track. Mm-hmm. It is so niche that sometimes it is all about your creativity and how you can get somebody to test the waters in dirt track racing.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And that's kind of like what we're doing, like what my husband and I are doing with his car, because that's why I offer it as part of my sponsorship packages for the podcast. Like, they automatically get that. They automatically get to be on the car for a minimum of a season or longer, depending on what tier they purchase. But yeah, and so they get that social media post, all different kind of things. Because you know, I mean, you have to be different. Like you can't, you know, they, you know, they get to advertise. Yeah. Like the ads will be on the podcast. It'll be all over the place. Like. We had to think outside the box because it's like, oh, well, I get yeah. I mean we do the this, this. yeah.
1: Yeah, we do the same thing, you know. We offer um advertising the magazine, but we also and within that you get on the website and you get on our social media. And I think we have something in the works or worked out with my race pass as well. So we try to do the same thing where you're getting multiple opportunities Mm -hmm. or a multitude of opportunities. Mm -hmm. Um, even in the magazine, we offer QR codes so that like, say you have a, you know, a video of a product that you want people to see in an action, or, mm-hmm. you know, you want it to link directly to your website. We try to offer a variety of different options. So that way you're getting the most out of your investment in advertising and not just, just a picture because how many, how many times people flip past an ad and they're just like, Oh, whatever. Mm-hmm. So we try to offer as many different avenues as possible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and plus like now you, there's no reason that you should not invest in social media marketing period. Like oh, yeah. you, you have to now, like it,
1: there, there's no, if you're a driver and you don't have social media and you're not like present on social media, sharing more than just like your post race mm-hmm. stats, you're missing out on so much of an oh, opportunity yeah. to market yourself and market brands for your sponsorship.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because then you don't have to just, like, have them be on your car. You can do way more. Like, you can do videos, you know, of reviewing their products or whatever. Like, you can do that. You can do YouTube. You can do... There's so, like, you can almost be, you can become a content creator and be a racer at the same and
1: time. You almost have to, like, you yeah. have to think of yourself as a brand mm-hmm. and working with other brands and less right. is like, oh, I'm a driver and they're investing in my car. You have to look at it anymore as like, how can I brand myself mm-hmm. and market myself and create content for them? versus just putting their name on my car. Right. You know, Brian Brown does a great job in sprint car racing with being a, a great brand ambassador for everybody who sponsors him. And that is the best way to look at it. And that's how you build up to getting brands like Casey's and FVP to support you is you have to be more than just oh I'm a race car driver. You have to develop all aspects that you can market.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And also, you know, it helps you build a better relationship with your sponsors. So they stay because, mm-hmm. like, that's the biggest thing. It's not that it's not getting the sponsorship; it's keeping it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, um, and so, yeah. In the traditional sense, it wasn't really like that. Like, you know, you just kind of, yeah. you know, you kind of just like show up sometimes. You were a billboard, bar, yeah, or whatever. But that was really it. Now it's it's a lot more actually building almost personal relationships with your yep. sponsors and um you know making it more than just oh well your logo's on my car. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's just like it doesn't it work that be, way. yeah, no, not anymore. Yeah. No, you have to like give them a reason to keep you.
1: That's an automatic get your email deleted. Doesn't <laughs> work out.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> like um, okay I'm on your car all right like I could go to anybody and just do that but you have to give me a real reason to like want to yeah. do more than just that with you and you know and to be able to keep it as a long-term relationship um because you know especially now with social media and everything you have to you have to like be willing to put yourself out there and really promote the brands that work with you you can't just yeah. You know, you can't just sit around and just hope that hope for the best.
1: Um, Yeah, we can. But your car is going to also be a lawn ornament when you do that.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, because I mean, if you're just trying to be like local and not really trying to like, you know, build up anything. Understand, you know, because some people just do this for a hobby and that's it and they don't want to really go anywhere with it um but if you're wanting to be able to like really build this to where you can do this full time you have to become like you said like we said like you have to become your own personal brand and you have to actually treat it as a business yeah yeah but um Obviously, you guys have a ton of stuff going on with Dirt Empire. I mean, and you went to PRI because I know we actually talked for a couple minutes while you were still there. Um, so is there anything like coming up for for this year that you guys are doing that like you guys haven't done before? Like, are you guys thinking out of the box?
1: Um, I believe that Adam is going to like a vendor show in Minnesota in the spring that we've not typically done in the past. Uh, I know we are going back to the cars show um, that he goes every year. The only thing that I attend is PRI yeah. um, and we do that every year. Um, the only other guaranteed place to see me is at the Knoxville Nationals. Mm-hmm. I take all of, I take a bunch of past issues to the Knoxville Nationals and hand those out. I usually have those at Terry Ford's trailer and the O'Reilly's parking lot because trying to catch me between being in the Mm infield, taking photos, I usually help with the Queens contest. It's just, it's very difficult to find me during Nationals. Um, Mm -hmm. And I do like to sleep at some point in time, but um, I think he's going to the show in Minnesota and that's going to be new. Um, I didn't, I didn't get the dates or even what exactly Mm -hmm. was going on during PRI because it was so hectic, but he said that he was going to go up there because Justin, our editor, is from Minnesota. So So he wanted to go up there and kind of do something up there with uh, some vendor show that they had going on for, like, racing or something like that. Um, But that's kind of the only, like, really new thing. Um, We were in a new location at PRI this year, and I think we're going to go back to that location next year just because it was – out in the hallway across from the Elliotts trailer, custom trailers, like announcement booth that they have where they did autograph signings and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I do think that that like got us a lot more foot traffic and was it made us easier to find. We used to be in booth four hundred and ten, which was down in like the drag racing area, which obviously we don't fit in well mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Um, so I think that was cool that we did that, and I I think it was a good enough turnout with people finding us that we're probably going to go back to that Mm -hmm. in P.R.I. 2024. But otherwise, as far as like new stuff, um, I think that vendor show is really the only the only real like major thing Mm -hmm. Um, we are. I believe Adam is working on revamping the style of our cover. So the next issue, which we're going to press on on Monday, uh, should have kind of a new look to it as far as that goes. Um, But we're not going to be adding any retail locations that I know of, because we're already in tractor supply, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, National Sprint Car Hall of Fame, and a couple of um, racing dealerships, like Mm -hmm. race parts like Heisels and Close Racing Supply. So I think as far as that goes, None of that will change. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can always find me at a racetrack. I post it on my social media and I take extra issues with me to hand out. Um. But, you know, we have merch that's new this year um, that you can get through Speedway Screen Prints. We have hoodies and t-shirts. They are by pre-order only. And I think they have tumblers that, grow, that glow in the dark, oh, wow. uh, but it's by pre-order only. So you have to catch one of the pre-orders. Um, and in the past, we've only had t-shirts one time and that was at PRI. So mm. that's kind of cool. That you can order that kind of stuff online now and get it from us. Um, but really, we're kind of just hitting our stride with the typical things. We're every other month magazine, lay models, modified, sprint cars. Um, We're still going to have the DE asks column, which is fan submitted questions to drivers. Mm -hmm. We have an auxiliary power column that'll still be there. Um, I don't have a schedule. I know a lot of like photographers and like media people have a schedule and they're like, I'm going to be here, here and here. I I don't (laughs) chaotic and a lot of things are decided at the last minute. So. Usually, you have to follow me on social media to know where I'm going. Um, And I used to be easy to spot because I had purple hair. I have brown hair right now. I don't know if that'll stay, but I'm a little bit harder to find now at the racetrack. But um, yeah, we're kind of just doing the normal things outside of that. Just, I mean, we're only in year three, so we're still a baby. Yeah. Uh, We have a lot of subscribers, and, you know, we do have really great advertising partners, and we've got really great columns and articles and stuff, but everything is status quo for now. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it'll change. Um, but everything is pretty much, you know, we do major events, picture reviews in the magazine versus like race summaries. Mm-hmm. So that'll stay the same, but, um, yeah, we don't have anything crazy on tap. Uh, you can usually find a dirt empire photographer at almost like every major race, uh, Dave Campbell and Josh James. And those guys are, great about going to a lot of places and are easy to find um but yeah we don't have anything crazy going on uh we're just gonna stick to the normal' which is typically me holding out my articles until <laughs> the last which is what I'm doing now my editor messaged me during this podcast asking me where my stuff was so maybe <laughs> wonders if the magazine goes to press late it's usually my fault
0: <laughs> you can just tell them that like, you're, you're going to make sure it's an extra good article. That's why you're holding out.
1: Well, potentially it's Logan's CV. So, um, I think it's justified. (laughs) (laughs) But
0: yeah, no, I think, I think that's great that you guys, um, ended up making that change. Cause yeah, like you guys being, um, at PRI and like the drag racing area, that. That's really, like, yeah. completely outside. it was outside
1: really community. small. It was in one of the, like, teeny tiny hallways. Mm-hmm. And it was just crowded and not, like, it didn't offer people to stand and be able to talk to you or, like, have conversation. Right. So, it made it really difficult. I like where we moved to. Um, there's room, potentially, that, like, somebody could bring a car and oh, okay. we could expand the booth a little bit, too. So, like, there's a lot that could potentially come from it this year. Um, obviously, it's a year away, but uh, we did discuss quite a few different options to change things up and stay in the same location Um, but that's kind of like that's our biggest time of year not just for the magazine but for us as a magazine because it's all of us in one place I mean I don't think a lot of people realize that you know Adam our publisher is in Georgia Uh, he's based out of Brunswick Georgia and he has the main office in Brunswick Um, but my editor Justin Zock is in Minnesota Um, I'm in Illinois And obviously, all of our photographers are freelance, so they're kind of everywhere. Uh, So, like, the only time that we're all in one spot and can actually, like, talk outside of a group chat or a group message is at PRI. So, that's our biggest thing every year and the thing that we, like, look forward to the most just because it's the one time that we get to be like, oh, yeah, we did good with this. Or, you know, this happened and stuff that you kind of get gets lost in emailing back and forth and, like, planning and stuff. Um, So, yeah, we're our biggest thing is PRI.
0: Yeah. And that makes sense. And also from a team building standpoint too, because you guys get to be all in the same place and you can actually like build your actual relationships and it's not just always through like a zoom call.
1: Right. Yeah. (laughs) You know,
0: so yeah, you guys actually can hang out with each other and do things together.
1: we always go to dinner and um catch up on stuff i mean you just lose a lot of stuff that happens like throughout the year mm -hmm. when you're trying to focus on like what articles are you doing or who's submitting photos or you know there's a lot of stuff that becomes more priority than telling stories Mm -hmm. or like cool stuff that happens in the racetrack so it is fun to like get together and and that's kind of our priority point is like getting together and be able to talk to race fans about the magazine while not trying to also do other stuff at the same time you know i don't get a whole lot of time like during nationals and a lot of people stop and talk to me but like i'm going 12 different ways or i have a camera in my hand and that's how a lot of us are like we have a lot going on so it just makes it difficult so our biggest thing is pri every year
0: yeah yeah Um i definitely had fomo looking at everybody's stuff from pri this year uh, you know this past year so i'm i'm that is my goal is to go to pri this year uh, it'll be my first time so
1: adam always messages me in like November and he's like, "Um, are you still going to PRI? And I'm like, duh, yeah, I'm going to PRI. Like, I put in my PTO request the year before when I got back from PRI. So yeah, I'm going to PRI. Like he always asks it, like I might change my mind, but now that I've been so many times, like it is just cool to be in like one spot. And oftentimes like that's usually like one of the first times I actually get to see a driver face to face. Like I, all my interviews are, over the phone or through email or, you know, like, so that's usually the first time I actually get to like physically thank somebody or like put a face to the name and like build an actual relationship out of the conversation that we had. So like PRI is just a lot of fun to like see the culmination of everything. And it's cool to have that reminder of like, oh, I actually did all of this stuff this year.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And like, and that's kind of how I feel too. It's like, most of the people that I interviewed on the podcast, they all went to PRI, you know. And so like being able to actually meet them in person instead of, you know, through, you know, through a virtual call instead, you know, is is nice because, you know, you you actually get to see them face to face and, you know, hang out with them or whatever. And so like that's part of the reason why I want to go is because I knew like. Everybody, pretty much every single person that I interviewed was there.
1: <laughs> so. I probably had like one person that I knew that wasn't going to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, Well, two, I guess. But like almost everybody's there. Yeah, and, and Anybody that you want to talk to or like if you want to like firm up that you're going to have an interview or, or whatever, it just works out really nice. I mean, I'm a very dry humid person and I'm very like straight face sarcastic. You don't know I'm joking. And so that's really hard to convey over telephone or Mm -hmm. through text message so it's just nice to like be able to engage with people and them kind of be like oh yeah okay she was joking Mm -hmm. not you know so it's nice to just be a pri and like have that catching up uh now that i've been um several times i don't know that i would not go i mean it's exhausting but it's a lot of fun at the same time
0: yeah yeah um
1: yeah I, i mean i'm definitely
0: looking for to going more for like you know networking purposes and also um you know one of our sponsors already told me i could you know do podcast episodes from their booth if i want to you know so like i mean so there would be things for me to do
1: i wouldn't just be going just well this year they had a podcast stage too where they invited specific podcasts on and you got to do a podcast live from the pri like podcast booth and it was actually a pretty fancy booth i walked past it um, a couple of times and it was actually honestly really cool and I thought that was right. kind of unique because like how many times do you get to actually do a podcast face-to-face and how right. enticing is that right. if you had somebody that like you were really wanting to do an interview mm-hmm. with like probably not going to turn you down if they get to do it at PRI in the right PRI exactly booth. Like, there's just a lot of opportunity there and I thought that was cool that they kind of got that like ingenuity and in that idea
0: yeah no that's neat um yeah and I mean that That's really cool because like you said, yeah, sometimes that might be the only way you could actually interview that person because you can actually talk to them face to face and be like, Hey, you know, do you, do you want to, you know, do this podcast interview? Because a lot of times, especially depending on if they're a bigger person, you tend to have to deal with PR people and you have to like kind of go through them. And a lot of times they can turn you down, even though the other, the, person might not have actually turned right. you down
1: well, and it, from a marketing standpoint, there's so much opportunity there to be like, Oh, this is my PRI podcast. Like, you know, we do that a lot with our issue. We have an issue that goes out every year at PRI. And so that's a huge cool. marketing standpoint to us because we hand that issue out for free at PRI to anybody who wants it. And then PRI has it in their kiosks where you can get it for free. And from a marketing standpoint, it's a huge opportunity to get into the hands of people who might not otherwise ever see your product.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And see, that would be pretty much my thing. It would do like live podcast episode at PRI because I mean, it makes total sense, right? Like doing that during the week, the weekend. So yeah, cause I know there's people there that I probably never would have had the opportunity to interview, you know? So, but yeah, so that's definitely a goal for me this year is to get to PRI for sure. Cause yeah when i saw everything that was going on between facebook and linkedin i was like and and some some on instagram but not so much it was mainly linkedin though i'm like yeah man i've got to get there next year (laughs) like i've got to my husband has been i laughed
1: a lot because i had friends who would message me like oh did you see this on social media and i'm like no no (laughs) I'm i'm running around every which way like yeah i have no idea what's going on on social media
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and my husband's been before but i mean that was many years ago i think he was like a teenager at the time like i mean yeah and so but he he told me he's like he's like do you want to go i'm like is that even a question like why why are you even asking me this because of course i want to go and so yeah we're pretty much uh, planning to do that uh, this you know, this year. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited looking forward to it because then I get to meet you. I get to meet on a bunch of different people that I've been able to, um, you know, interview already. And so that'll be neat. Like being able to catch up and stuff. So, yeah.
1: I like PRI for the most part, just because of that, like you get into mm-hmm. network and just really like make a better impression than what you can make through email. And I just, I like right. that. From somebody who works from home virtually, like there's a lot of emotion that's lost in having mm-hmm. to go through a computer. So I just love PRI for that aspect. I like getting to talk to our subscribers, hearing what they liked, what they didn't like. Even, even if they tell me what they didn't like, it's still yeah. enjoyable to be able to like get that feedback on the magazine and have those moments.
0: Yeah, no, it definitely. I mean, and the thing is like any feedback is actually good feedback
1: because, yeah. you know, you want
0: people to at least tell you and not just right. like not say anything because, I mean, then you can just take it as a constructive criticism. And yeah. The like, only way our
1: magazine can can continue to get better and our yeah. articles continue to get better is if we hear what people don't enjoy.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And so you guys can improve, you know, I mean, because that, that's what you want, it's growth. And in order to grow, you have to be able to constantly improve and evolve. And you only get that from, unfortunately, sometimes it's the negative stuff, right? You know, that's going to actually make you grow. Um, so yeah, now I don't, I, I don't blame you guys for wanting to hear that. And, um, and that's just, it's just, it's just nice to be able to hear from people that are, you know, subscribed to your magazine anyway. Yeah. Um, because you know not everybody is comfortable like sending dms or you know doing yeah. things like that and some people would rather tell you in person so yeah 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 no so i mean it sounds like you guys have a lot going on for this year um especially like with pure Eye, and then you've got that vendor show in minnesota that's going to be coming up and and obviously when racing season finally starts for some areas, because I know, you know, with dirt, especially in certain areas, it has not started back up yet. You know, most places well, I mean, the the off- are coming up, but yeah. But outside of the Chili Bowl, there's a lot of places that have not started racing season up again yet. I know for us, it doesn't start until March. Um, but yeah, definitely um, the off season can be kind of rough.
1: I feel like there's really not an off season now but that's just because I still have to generate content (laughs) yeah it doesn't feel much like an off season I was interviewing Nick Kaufman the other night and he said the same thing he's like there's really not an off season so I think it just depends on like how you look at race season um Mm -hmm. there's always something to be streamed but
0: yeah
1: it doesn't feel like there's much of an off season I feel like I never run out of uh racing type questions even in the off season Mm -hmm. where you're like okay so what about your next race because there's always seems like now drivers are always planning for something Mm -hmm. um whether it's the Tulsa shootout or the chili bowl or the dome you know there's a lot of stuff that I feel like a lot of people are still involved in even when it's not outdoor season Mm -hmm.
0: yeah yeah um yeah but if you're somebody that's not doing those bigger races then yeah you're kind of sitting until probably about March, <laughs> you know, um, you know, just working on the car or whatever. And that, that's about it until March. Um, especially more local people that like don't really race like big stuff. Um, but yeah, cause that's kind of where we are. It's like, we're just kind of waiting around, <laughs> just waiting for the season to start. But, um, yeah, we have to get like the car wrapped and stuff. That's pretty much what we're having to work on before we can put everything back together. But, um, but yeah, no, I'm so glad you came on and shared your story because you have an amazing story. It's so different, you know, especially with like the horses and everything, which I think is amazing that you, you know, that you did that, but you kind of, you know, put it on the back burner, but that's okay. Um, because, you know, you're doing something that you still love to do, which, you know, is racing. Racing has been a part of your life for so long. I mean, since two weeks old, I mean, yeah, it's ingrained yeah. in you, you know, and that's kind of how it is with my, with my daughters, you know, like racing was ingrained into them. Cause I mean, my youngest was almost born at a racetrack. Like, yeah, I was like going, like, I was, my water broke. <laughs> so, like, cause I was, I my husband was racing cards at the time. And so, yeah, that happened while I was out there. But, uh, so yeah, so she definitely got, since the womb, she was around racetracks. So, yeah, so I totally understand why you would have made racing a part of your life in some way and you wouldn't have gotten out of it
1: you know. Yeah. I mean so, even when I was showing horses and stuff I was still going to the races on the weekends just not just not as frequently.
0: Right, right, because you were doing something else. But but it's the fact that you you stuck to racing in some way, you know, all this time because it you know, it's something that you did with your dad and I you know, obviously it's very sentimental to you and I and honestly, you know, I'm sure your dad's very proud of what you did
1: Oh, with. 100% without a doubt.
0: Yeah, so, but, um, but guys, for everybody that is listening, I will link Ashley's social media so you guys can make sure that you follow her. Um, because like she said, her schedule is chaotic. She just kind of posts randomly on where she's going to be at. So if you guys ever want to like find where she's at, whatever track she's going to be at, definitely make sure that you follow her on social media. And yeah, no. Thank you again, Ashley, for coming on. I do appreciate it, and um, looking forward to seeing like more of your content and what you're doing yeah. this year. So, hey guys, so I hope you enjoyed that episode. Um, like I mentioned, definitely check out the show notes below uh, for all of the links to Ashley's social media and everything else that she has. Um, so you can definitely follow her journey. Um, besides that thanks to all of you for supporting the podcast. I know we it's been over a year already, which is crazy but we you know my team and I we definitely appreciate all of you. Um, you know we do this for you guys. we don't just do this for ourselves um, And so we do appreciate every single one of you. and like I did mention in the episode that came out, Earlier this week um, we will be doing a giveaway at 10,000 downloads Uh, so definitely make sure that you are um, signed up for the VIP section newsletter because I will be making that announcement on there first Um, so you will know exactly when I will be doing the giveaway because I give all the the behind-the-scenes exclusive stuff uh, and also you get to listen to the um the podcast episode a day early if you subscribe to the VIP section newsletter. So definitely go to that link in the show notes and subscribe. Um, it's absolutely free. I do this because I want to. Um, you know, it's a way for me to give back and thank you guys for being able to, you know, su- support the podcast in whatever way you have, um, whether you. Been a sponsor, whether you are, have been a listener from the very beginning, or you are just listening now, or your previous guest, because we have a mixture of all those people on the, on the VIP section newsletter, uh, so definitely make sure you check that out, um, and it comes out every Monday, well, Sunday, Monday, and Wednesday, so on Sundays is our YouTube video that I put out every week, um, and then... And I don't post about it until Monday on on social media. So, um, you, you know, you find out about it through the newsletter the day before. The same thing with the podcast episodes the day before. So on Mondays and Wednesdays because I post on social media on Tuesdays and Thursdays about the podcast. So, yeah, you guys get to know about everything pretty much. At least a day ahead. And then you also get to know about guests coming up before anybody else does. I never release who the guests are on social media. I don't. You don't find out until the day the podcast comes out and I post on social media. Um, Only the newsletter, people that are subscribed to the newsletter, know who the guests are ahead of time. So definitely, um, if you're interested in that, check out that link. And so that's it for us, guys. Until next week, uh, take care. Go out there and manifest your best lives. And you'll hear from me on Monday if you're a VIP or Tuesday if you're just, you know, hearing about this on social media. So take care, guys. Bye.